everyone. Welcome to Manufacturing Hub. I am Dave. This guy up here is Vlad. And all February long, we're talking about ITOT convergence. Uh, very special guest this week, uh, Kevin Jones of Actobox. Kevin, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kevin. Uh, before we dive into ITOT Convergence, I wanted to get maybe a little bit more of, of your background. How did you get started in the industry? How did you get into manufacturing? And ultimately, what led you to do uh, what you are doing today? Sure. Uh, the real short story, um, uh, going back to part of the beginning, uh, music education background, uh, went into accounting, discovered software, fantastic adventure and really loved software more than anything and then started to work for manufacturers because i live and work in pittsburgh which is a very uh, manufacturing uh, heavy uh, area pittsburgh pennsylvania in the u.s in the northeastern area and with that we started to see iot and uh, machines have data and wow that's really interesting and cool uh, uh, let's actually dive into that uh, and then from there uh, it just went crazy for us. Uh, so that brings us to the work we do today, which is an industry 4.0, level three, level four systems integrator, uh, putting solutions in place to help manufacturers get that real-time visibility into the factory floor. We think of ourselves as a manufacturing intelligence solutions company. I'm really excited to have you on because I think there's a lot of challenges when it comes to industry 4.0, but more specifically data when it comes to the ITOT convergence. Oh. But before we get yes. into that, maybe if I can ask you uh, the music background, what made you want to switch? How did you maybe discover a passion for manufacturing slash uh, data analytics? What was that uh, switch all about? There's a couple of things. One, uh, music was a natural thing for me, but I was always interested in engineering. But, you know, when I started to think about being a music teacher, I'm like, hmm, not going to make a whole lot of money doing this. A lot of great people are doing it, even ran into some good friends from from school, from college, actually a few weeks ago, and they're they're happy as anything, which is fantastic. Uh, but I really loved to understand how things work and how things are built, and to be able to build them myself. I mean, a good example. I talk about this often. Uh, my dad, uh, handy as anything, uh, still around with us, thankfully today, and he had an old 1954 TFMG uh, that. Uh, he bought in college way back in the late 50s early 60s uh, and kept that was his used car and then when i was in middle school he took the thing down to the frame to the wooden frame no less mm -hmm. and built it back up again outrageous it was really really neat i'm a little lazy i like to sit at a keyboard working with my fingers uh, and my brain as opposed to getting up and wrenches and all the rest of that kind of stuff and so i discovered software i can make things and then manufacturing, tying into manufacturing. I've seen how um, uh, uh, cotton swabs are made. I've seen how uh, the uh, shaft, drive shaft for Navy destroyers are made. I've seen how hip joint replacements are, are made. I, uh, countless medical devices and chemicals for drugs, all kinds of other things. It's, it's so neat, it's just crazy. Uh, I love that kind of thing. And if we can help companies do that better and help drive uh, better jobs, better economy for our local area where I'm raising my 10-year-old son and my family, all the better. And then, you know, regionally, nationally, et cetera. So it really gets back to just loving how things are made, being able to create things uh, myself and build a team and build a business to be able to do that. Uh, that's, that's the passion. That's where it comes from. 
let me ask you, I guess, the, the music background, does it help you or I guess, do you see it as being very helpful in terms of the creative side? Is there, you know, an advantage to having maybe like an external or a different view than someone who's been very traditionally, I want to say like structured and software engineering or electrical engineering? Like, what are your thoughts on maybe getting a different background or someone with a different background than software or electrical and then training them up uh, in our field? I do have a much different perspective on things, no doubt about that, number one. Number two, typically people who do uh, music are very often into software, very heavy on math, excel at it because of the relationships between music and, and math, uh, languages, interpretation, uh, 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 rhythms, uh, all aspects. You're learning a different language as well, truly a different language uh, in music. People who don't get into music, they, they have a hard time reading it and understanding it. Uh, uh, so there's a lot that translates there uh, as in addition to the outside perspective. But what I've made sure of uh, through my career is that I worked with mentors and effectively through the school of hard knocks have the equal of, uh, you know, a CS degree, uh, a software uh, developer's degree. Uh, so that lacking that, you know, bachelor's in, you know, whatever it is uh, in, you know, software development, CS, something like that isn't a hindrance at all uh having that music background i think as you're kind of getting at is actually a huge benefit uh so yes no doubt i agree with you yeah it's very interesting i think you know there's certainly a lot of opportunities in our field and i see people switch uh again i think the statistic i've seen is you switch three or four times in in your career mm -hmm. you know as you yep. uh, kind of i guess go through life would be the the saying but uh it's interesting <laughs> yeah. to have people with different perspective, right? Because I think um, in a lot of times, like software, as I said, is very procedural, procedural, very uh, sort of say uh, paced, but someone who comes in with a different background might have different ideas, different thoughts. And again, it also, I want to say, like goes through verticals and in different industries. So I think that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, I agree completely. There's a number of people that, that I've met, a lot of people that I've known and met within software and, and also within manufacturing that really get into music, are able to perform uh, uh, multidisciplinary uh, um, musicians, mm -hmm. you know, multiple instruments. But yeah, fantastic musicians out there. In fact, I'm going to be meeting one of them tomorrow, uh, potentially. Great guy that is heavy into software and a fantastic trombone player, barbershop quartet. Uh, yeah. It's awesome. awesome guy. That's really cool. Uh, if I could ask you, I guess, going back to your background. So right now you're working in, as you mentioned, Industry 4.0, IoT. Could you give? Yep. Could you yep. paint us a better picture? You know, do you work with hardware? Do you work with software? Do you work? What kind of data? Maybe, uh, without obviously naming any end users, what kind of applications are you deploying so that uh, the listeners could get a, a better understanding of what it is that you do? Sure. So most of our work is done uh, from the uh, using software. We implement hardware only when we need to. So uh, when we're working with the company, we're talking with them about the challenges that they have in the plant, uh, whether it's uh, challenges around quality, production, production efficiencies, on-time delivery, uh, all kinds of things within the what we think of as the four walls of the plant. And where we're working with them about those challenges, we're trying to understand how they operate as a business and how they operate with data, with the intelligence. Uh, and then uh, let's help figure out how to get them from where they're at to where they want to go. And to do that, they need data. So they, our currency, if you will, uh, the, the 
you know, the, the oil that we try to get flowing through the pipelines is the data. Mm-hmm. And when we're doing that, most of the work we're doing uh, to get that oil to flow, so to speak, is software. So machines are already set up. They're already automated to a sense. There's a PLC uh, or a soft PLC, or we have to open up the panel to get some signals, you know, 40, 20 milliamp, whatever you have to do. Uh, uh, and we'll do some of the hardware to connect to that PLC if we need to. Uh, you know, Maple Systems Gateway, uh, an Opto 22 group, Epic, you know, some other kinds of gateways uh, uh, to connect to that uh, system and get the data out. But from that point forward, it's all safe software. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we're putting systems in place, we are uh, believers in creating that single version of the truth, that central hub. Uh, uh, throw the phrase around unified namespace, which a number of people might know on this uh, on this cast. And when we're putting that in place, we're using MQTT. So there's an MQTT broker. There's some kind of uh, SCADA MES platform, very often uh, Tatsoft uh, factory studio product or the inductive automation uh, uh, ignition product. Uh, we're also looking at Neuron, uh, which is a really uh, interesting product uh, using Kepware, uh, using IoT Edge, uh, and then from there, a lot of the products we use are uh, things like HiByte for modeling uh, the data, connecting modeling, flowing data, uh, Canary as a really good uh, historian uh, as well. It, it's a good sample uh, of the, the kind of products we use to, to put things together. And so then it's taking these tools out of our tool belt uh, as a carpenter, a really expert carpenter would do, or taking these puzzles that are on the ta- the pieces of the puzzle that are on the table and getting them to fit right together to, to put the solution together to answering am, am i getting to your your question yeah a- absolutely absolutely okay, i cool. i'm very very familiar with the stack i think that a lot of listeners no are doubt. as well i'm very happy to see that uh you're implementing on that stack because i think there's something to be said about the current state of the industry i'm again i'm not going to comment about some of the other vendors but uh it's great to uh hear some of the tools that you're using let me ask you uh you know based on that um I'm obviously certain that you have a lot of conversations with both the IT and the OT side. Is there, you know, from the data perspective or at least the conversations that you're having, are there specific challenges that you immediately see? Is there something that you notice? Uh, And and again, I think that a lot of our listeners are on the mostly OT side. So what are some of the pushbacks maybe or how to say like challenges that maybe the IT departments have uh, when it comes to you know, transitioning from having that data mostly on the plant floor to now opening, sort of, so to say, like the flow of that data to potentially an on-prem server, maybe in the cloud, uh, but ultimately in that unified namespace. Sure. Uh, before I say anything, I have the greatest amount of respect for everybody that works in IT, especially for those that are on this podcast. There might be someone out there. Having said that, We've had some experiences and had some conversations and, you know, there is some reality out there to some of the things that are said about IT, but maybe it doesn't apply to you who's in the audience that, that's in IT, or if it does, it, maybe this is an opportunity to have a wake-up call uh, about um, how IT is not only perceived, but how IT is working with or maybe sometimes against, or at least not in lockstep with, with OT. Uh, some of the challenges, IT doesn't understand uh, how the plant really works. And yeah, I, I see the product going from machine to machine and I see machine goes up and down and make something, stamp something, but uh, uh, they don't understand it at a, at a deeper level. Uh, the IT often doesn't understand the technologies that we just rattle on about. 
uh, uh, and uh, even down to the protocol level as well. Uh, IT uh, often has their focus and with respect to their focus, often protecting the data, cybersecurity, data can't leave the four walls. Hey, get it, no problem at all. But sometimes they get so hyper-focused on that and also uh, running the infrastructure with good cybersecurity in place that they forget to then be a service, uh, be a good um, a provider, a partner with the other departments to enable them to do what they need to do. Usually instead it's, uh, nope, can't do that, firewalls up, uh, uh, you know, we can't move data around, that kind of thing. So it's, it's usually understanding what's going on in the plant at multiple levels uh, uh, and then getting so narrowly focused on what they do, which is important. However, there are other things we need to do too to help the company run. And let's all keep in mind, the whole reason manufacturing plant is in there in the first place is because they make stuff. And it's the OT side of the people that uh, are the raison d'etre of manufacturing. They're getting the stuff, the raw materials in and the, the final products out the door. So everybody else around that whole process should be part of a service organization uh, to OT. Uh, and so that they should work together in lockstep rather than you know against one another. Yeah, and I, I, I truly appreciate the, the perspective, Kevin. I, I think, you know, there's a lot of conversations where, how to say, we, we step around maybe some of these issues, but I think a lot of us have seen similar things in different manufacturers. But I do want to, I, I guess, let Dave maybe make a point as well, because I think what he mentioned, and Please. I think we all agreed before the stream started, is that once you get the buy-in and sort of the help from IT, it becomes one of your best allies, right? But a lot of times it's just very difficult to get that ball rolling, at least in my experience. So maybe Dave, like what are your thoughts on that? And uh, give us your question as well for Kevin. Absolutely. So I think everyone brings up a bunch of, of good points and that if IT is good, <clears throat> it is a good team member, right? Like it is, it is very easy. It is much easier to be successful on these calm industry 4.0 projects than if you are constantly butting your heads against it, uh, against them as a team. Uh, I guess kind of my like generally broad question to Kevin, you, you made a good point is that most times IT doesn't understand what happens on the plant floor. Sh should we go about and have IT go work a couple of shifts, go do some OT networking to understand what happens at a plant floor level? Like, should we get that granular? Or is there the opportunity for them to understand that basically the, the OT floor and everything that flows in and out of that is their customer? It is their job to make their customer happy as opposed to make their customer's life more difficult. Because if we can't continue to run, then eventually no one will have jobs. Honestly, it would be, uh, that's a fair uh, idea. I think I've heard of it a few times working fairly well where uh, OT, or excuse me, IT people are working on the plant for a little while, sweeping the floor or loading some parts or, or just working with people. I mean, gee whiz, you get to know the people on the plant floor. People you, you see every day, but you just don't know the names and then you build personal relationships. I mean, that's, that's a good idea. What we've seen work, and quite honestly, uh, I just got, I think, a, an early copy of Dave Schultz's uh, article uh, for... Uh, an ITOT, or maybe it was a, a previous version, ITOT article he wrote as well. And what he talks about there, you know, along with uh, leadership and, and driving culture, uh, is change management. In that change management process is to create cross-functional teams. 
get people to work together. Mm -hmm. They start to appreciate one another. So it's kind of like what you're talking about, getting them to work together, uh, forcing them into the same room to get along, give them an objective with a strong leader to make sure that they're doing it, uh, uh, give them a goal to accomplish and make sure that they work together to achieve it. And then they'll start to appreciate one another, appreciate one another's worlds, like one another, maybe, that it's not necessary, it's not required, but hopefully they do. Uh, and then they can create much better working relationships. But I think that there really should be that that service component. Um, I think it was Gerber, David Gerber, I think is his name, with the, um, of course, now I can't remember it off the top of my head, with the, um, has a, a book about entrepreneurs and uh, then becoming, uh, developing customers uh, within your own company as a as a department so one department should be mm -hmm. a, a vendor or a partner to another company and that kind of relationship to s set up that kind of solid service uh, uh should be should be there that kind of relationship should be there rather than yeah no we're not going to do that for you because it's just not on our bailiwick and it's not in our budget and that's an interesting point. You know, I wonder if that's like a, a cultural change, if that's just, uh, you know, uh, hiring somebody extra that's going to be that missing link. I, again, I've seen very rarely where that shifts sort of like mid-project. Usually you need to have some kind of a trigger, which is pro usually a, a failed initiative before they decide to sort of change mm -hmm. things. Uh, what, I be, yeah. what I would be wondering, you know, Kevin, on that point is, do you think that technology is going to change where, again, I think in manufacturing, we see a lot of these different protocols. It's fairly complex. Um, I think I would say even like the switches, right? Like the switches on the manufacturing floor are to some degree inaccessible to IT because they're always belonging on the OT side and they're owned by OT. Uh, but do you think that through a technological switch, we can allow more IT presence on the OT side? I don't know that it's going to be as much a technology switch as it's going to be having open minds. Mm -hmm. uh, I think of .NET developers. We do a lot of .NET work along with Ignition, Python, all the rest of that. Uh, and sometimes uh, for a .NET developer, uh, uh, he or she has that .NET hammer and everything looks like a nail. I'm going to solve that problem with .NET. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and there are some other .NET developers. Uh, so I'm in the parking lot. Uh, here of a, of a, a brewery going to meet up with some, actually some IT people uh, after this call at an enterprise company, the very good, fun uh, IT people to work with that, that work well on the OT side as well. But I'm here uh, because I was on the way back from Georgia from some meetings with a company and we were having, on the last day of the sessions, we were having a conversation about IT and getting people to buy in. And uh, the uh, director of operations said, you know, we've got this, we have a bunch of developers that work on the OT side, .NET developers. And the one developer, uh, he, he gave, directed this developer to take a look at Ignition. And I thought for sure, oh, this story, I know where this is going. Developer probably threw it out and said, no, I can do that all in .NET. No, uh, actually that developer said, holy cow, I had no idea you could do all this stuff and do it so quickly and do it at a tool like this. That I have a, a ton of respect for. Somebody who has an open mind to look at the technology and we uh, actually be able to understand the value uh, and not look at their .NET hammer and can think of everything else as a nail. Hey, there's, there's a screwdriver, or there's a wrench. I can use these different tools to do different jobs on the OT side as well as the IT side uh, as well. So I think it's that open mind. Yeah, I was going to say like, that's a really good example, right? So allowing them maybe to, or educating them on the, on the tools mm -hmm. or maybe on the, 
software that we're going to be deploying on the systems. Is there any other, how to say it, like ways that you've seen that you will manage to get IT's buy-in? Um, and again, I think it's important, obviously, to open up sort of the architecture and have them understand what do the edge device, what kind of a role they play, you know, how we communicate to the PLCs, maybe even sharing some kind of like a network diagram with them. But ultimately, I guess the understanding is that they will not own that side of the system always, but they will manage sort of the infrastructure that, let's say, runs your ignition server, your database, the way you're storing that data. So I'm, I'm wondering, again, in your experience, uh, to shorten that question, what kind of ways have you seen or used to persuade IT to get that buy-in? Invite them to the table. Mm -hmm. Invite them to the table to make decisions. Uh, educate them first, as you were talking about, but then invite them to the table to be a part of the decision-making process, as opposed to, hey, IT, you have to do this for us. All right, let's make that decision together. And maybe OT is not very strong on cybersecurity. So IT comes in and says, hey, well, don't forget about cybersecurity. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, you guys are experts at this. We're experts at this. Let's create, a, you know, for us, a digital strategy. Create, let's define the, uh, uh, some rules that we should use and use them as digital guardrails to go down this path of integrating things more together, dare I say, you know, use the big phrase, digital transformation. Mm -hmm. uh, and once these guardrails, these, this digital strategy uh, is set, then we all know what the rules are to play in that sandbox together. And then we uh, uh, invite, educate them on those rules uh, and what we do as well on the OT, we, uh, on the OT side. And then let's, let's all sit at that same table and let's, let's just figure it out. Let's figure it out. Do you have any maybe like interesting, how to say like stories, you know, because I'm thinking in the back of my mind, a lot of times when you're on the OT side, you're a little bit reluctant to share what's truly happening on the plant floor, right? Because there's some, again, like rogue <laughs> laptops, there's maybe like misconfigured switches, kind of like strange networks. So have you seen maybe IT be extremely, um, I guess there I use the word like surprised or puzzled by what's really going on versus what they thought was going on or, or how did the, the initial conversations go? I'm just curious if you have any interesting stories or perspectives of when you kind of yeah, well, them I, up. I mean, we, we were, I mean, just the one that comes to mind immediately is the one we were sharing just before uh, going live here, which was the, the hidden computers or hidden laptops. We just came from a company and uh, I, um, unless I maybe misheard, I think there was a side conversation that we weren't involved with, but the conversation was around, oh yeah, don't let IT know about this, <laughs> about this server or this this PC that's on the plant floor because otherwise they're going to put a kibosh on it. They're going to shut it down. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, oh, that's kind of scary. <laughs> we need to work on the re working relationship there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, you know, I, I say this a lot of times, but I also don't have the answer. I've certainly been in like in these conversations and I've been, like I said, like to some degree reluctant to share what's truly going on because I think there's a need on the OT side to preserve, let's say this, uh, how to say like fast response readiness in case machinery does go down and sometimes it requires a, a bypass or like an external laptop. And that's just the reality of the business. But at the same time, I also recognize, for example, I'm not a cybersecurity expert, right? So if I'm doing some of these things to keep the production quote unquote running, then there is a risk that is taken, uh, which should technically be reduced if we were to follow the right, uh, how to say like path, I guess, or, or solution. So it, it's, like I said, I don't have the answer. I think it's interesting how our ind industry is going to change. I think it's gonna be 
slowly but surely, right? I, I don't know if you have a perspective on that or thoughts on what you're seeing out there. Well, one other story that, that comes to mind uh, that's happened maybe two months ago now, I guess, before the new year, mm -hmm. a, uh, an enterprise company with at least 15 plants, we brought in cybersecurity uh, expert to help uh, that knows IT and OT side uh, to talk with the the head of cybersecurity at this enterprise company. And there were a whole bunch of other people on the call and they were reviewing uh, uh, regulatory uh, concerns and standards and talking about the plants and how they operate and this whole unified namespace idea and what we're doing, brokers. And essentially IT was trying to, to validate, not as much shoot holes uh, in, uh, but to validate the the model, uh, the security model that we were proposing, et cetera. Uh, and uh, I could sense with, as the cyber, the cybersecurity, uh, the head of cybersecurity at this enterprise company started to ask more and more questions about how some of the plants operated, which we were out of that conversation at the point. We were just uh, observers. Uh, I could sense his skin crawling as he was getting some of the answers. I'm like, really? That's how things operate? Really, that's where things are at, and it's completely open. Holy cow! Okay, that's something we need to take care of. Uh, like just having that conversation really started to open his eyes to what's going on in the plant. And they kind of didn't really have a good idea, but now they do, and they're mm -hmm. they're getting there. And this security models we're putting in place, uh, the, the products, the the architectures, uh, uh, using AWS, getting most, if not all, of the capabilities into AWS as well, and getting allowing them to more easily wrap their arms around everything with that. That kind of environment uh, is going to make them much more comfortable. But it's been an education process for them mm -hmm. to realize, holy cow, that's what's really going on the platform. What kind of, again, I think we talked about uh, the pushbacks or maybe the, how to say, like the misunderstandings they may have in the industry. But what are some of the like concerns, right? Are they concerned about ransomware? Are they concerned about poor network performance? Are they concerned about that data being, you know, there might be like a data breach. So there's some IP leaks. Like what's... Like, what's their immediate, I want to say, like, three things that they're like, hey, like, this could happen if we continue to run this way. Any, any thoughts or perspective on that? Losing control of the data, uh, I think, is one of the top ones. Ransomware is another one, and there's a story around that one, multiple out there, but one that we know of almost firsthand, let's say secondhand. Um, uh, and then it's, uh, I think, maybe... Yeah, just the, the, along with ransomware viruses and other things that can simply break networks down and cause all kinds of havoc, give them all kinds of headaches, you know, from the USB drives, walking around, all the rest of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, the 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 really unfortunate story that that we know about secondhand was a major company out there uh, with many plants. They. Uh, we were starting a project, starting to, to put the software in place, connecting to some PLCs, pulling the data, and then we didn't hear from them for a little bit, and then saw something in the news. Uh, and then we, we heard from them via LinkedIn. They were sending us messages via LinkedIn because everything was down. And when I say everything, I mean everything was yes. down because they got hit big time. Uh, mm -hmm. Huge problem, huge problem. Uh, uh, and so that was, you know, I get first or second hand knowledge about what some of the, the, the biggest things that they're, they're worried about right now. Some of those manufacturers and, and ransomware is right up there, quite honestly. Dave, what are your thoughts on this? 
Absolutely. I think ransomware is certainly something that should be at the forefront of, of everyone's mind. And Kevin, thank you for, for letting me bring up the topic. Uh, so in October, October is Cybersecurity uh, Awareness Month, uh, right? And so we had a cybersecurity theme. And if you want to listen to four really terrible predictions of what the future of manufacturing holds, go listen to our ICS cybersecurity experts when they predict what, what is going to, uh, what is going to happen um, on that side. But I, I absolutely agree. I think cybersecurity is very important. Um, and I, I guess I want to kind of, kind of move the conversation, if you will. And as, as I look at successful projects versus we'll just call them failed projects or less than successful projects, right? I, over the course of my career, especially in the last, you know, half a dozen years, see very different delineations, right? Generally successful projects have alignment on the IT and OT side, right? So typically that's kind of enterprise down saying, this is what we're going to do. And successful companies, successful projects have alignment and everyone is working in the same direction. I have seen lots of unsuccessful or less than they should have been successful experiences where the IT and the OT teams are are fighting. I can give an example of this. Uh, So I was doing a connected workforce application. We had a bunch of phones and iPads and other things on the floor. We identified a couple of huge opportunities in order to leverage this kind of to the next level. And one of the biggest issues was we literally could not get these $500 uh, of iPads or a couple of thousand dollars of iPads on any sort of, on any sort of inside the facility Wi-Fi network. And there are, as, as people who have been to manufacturing facilities know, there are lots of dead places where you can't get cell, cell connectivity. And those dead places are almost exclusively where you need to go to find answers because there's an issue and the machine down. So on my side, you going through and when there are struggles on the IT side of can we even put up a, a second kind of internal network that doesn't have to be connected? Uh, yes, it doesn't have to be connected. We, we can literally segregate them. I just need access to get to the information of ours that already exists. And when the answer turns into yes, we can go find a way to do that that is much more successful than when the answer is no, we couldn't possibly do that. If you can't go find the cellular connectivity, you'll have to go walk outside or whatever that is in order to be successful. So I think that that, that's a very good distinction between projects that could go well or projects that could go poorly, depending upon what what the alignment maybe at the top levels of the organization is. So when, but when you are talking about project failures, where the project failure may be due and related and somehow related to this ITOT difference or convergence, mm-hmm. uh, if you were to step back a bit and look at uh, the larger picture of project failures, when we're talking about digital transformation or evolution or whatever it is, getting that real-time visibility to the plant floor, how big of an impact uh, uh, does IT have to those failures versus other failures? Is it the biggest? Or you know halfway, or it's one of the smaller ones. Are we making much ado uh, or nothing, uh, or or what do you? I, what do you guys think? 
I guess from my perspective, Kevin, I think that that it's less about the IT side specifically caused the failure and more so that the company isn't aligned in the proper goals, right? So if if we've got proper alignment, then our IT and our OT, all of our team should be working for for the business, right? And typically the business is how do we go through the process of making more X product, be it cases or pallets or whatever we would like to call it. How do we go through making more of these generally with less quality defects and and at a better rate and and hopefully to schedule and all of these things. And so I find teams that are aligned in that goal, which in my mind would include that that ITOT uh, convergence or ITOT alignment, are much more successful than teams that are not aligned in that and are infighting, right? If if I hear that OT has a bunch of special servers and, hey, we've got 12 laptops that actually run our facility, but don't tell IT they exist because they're going to want to go push normal Windows updates and will take us down, that to me is a symptom of probably a much larger issue of we don't have alignment and, and we are not working towards the same goal. So how do you create, what is your perspective? I mean, you guys have asked me questions. I'm going to turn this around a little bit, but what do you guys think about that, uh, how that alignment should happen? Should it be uh, a, a leadership saying, hey, here's a digital strategy and here's how we're going to recognize the value of data and use the value of data. And now we all have to play in the sandbox based on these rules uh, and then creating cross-functional teams or something else. Interesting. Uh, leadership I, I cracks guess... the whip. What do you guys think? Dave, let me take a, a first stab at this. I, I think like from my perspective, um, IT gets brought in very late into these projects, right? So a lot of times yeah. the data specific, the data extraction from the plant floor is typically aligned by the OT teams and IT gets left not necessarily in the dust, but gets, how to say it, pulled in at the very last moment to make sure we have the right servers that can hold that data. And in many of my conversations, they're not necessarily, it's not that they're just involved very late. They're also not given a proper roadmap on what needs to be done, right? So they're just told like, well, spin up a couple of servers. Those servers are going to run a database. They're going to run an ignition instance. And that's pretty much it, right? Like no one really wants to, in in my world, take the time to explain to them what these applications are going to do, how they're going to help the manufacturing site. Uh, like I said, it, it, maybe it's due to lack of time, right, or trying to shorten that deployment life cycle, but they're brought in into conversations with very little knowledge of the systems being deployed and are given, I want to say, like the, the shortest heads up possible uh, to delivering some of these uh, infrastructure systems. So yeah, I've I, I heard guess, stories mm-hmm. even recently about, you know, a short staff, so we can't put somebody onto that. Mm-hmm. I've heard recently another one where there was a, you know, we have a liaison for that. So work through the liaison. Uh, but I think a lot of it, I think what you're saying in part is they're not brought to the table. Is that fair? Yeah, exactly. And like I said, they're not brought to the table. They're brought very late and they're given very little information. They're just, they're essentially just given a checklist, right? Like I need a server yeah. with this capacity, with this throughput. I need a few switches and that's all you need to know, right? Like they're not given the information about the project from, from A to Z or sufficient information for them to feel comfortable that this uh, is going to be worthwhile for them to spend the resources. Yeah, when we're doing uh, DTMAs, Digital Transformation Maturity Assessments, mm-hmm. where are you at, where you want to go, how are you going to get their roadmap, Industry 3.0, 4.0, all that kind of stuff, uh, a lot more details to it. We typically talk with 
uh, five different departments, IT being one of them. And guess who doesn't show up for all the meetings? Uh, operations, leadership, IT, engineering, maintenance, and quality. Guess who doesn't show up for the meetings the most? It's IT. Uh, yeah. It's kind of scary. Uh, often we have been inviting them to, uh, we and the people that were coordinating these assessments with, uh, invite them to the meetings as well, but they often also don't show up. So with respect, they're not brought into the, to the uh, given a seat at the table or given a seat at the table early enough. Um, but also, uh, they just don't even show up uh, and struggling to understand, like, why don't you want to show up to this? I mean, yeah, you're, you're busy, uh, but you can't sit on this high horse forever. You got to work with everybody. Uh, and maybe that's where leadership comes in and says, hey, different culture now, uh, service-oriented, uh, data-driven and service-oriented, uh, cross-functional teams. Let's let's work together. And if people aren't interested in doing that, uh, we can allow them to work for somebody else. Yeah, and again, like uh, just to comment on that before letting Dave uh, give his perspective, I think it's also recognizing that IT has been scaled down quite a bit over the last, I want to say, decade, right? They've been outsourced, they've been scaled down. There's usually like a corporate IT person. So maybe playing a bit devil's advocate, I think a lot of times they would just get this, like I said, massive project that they weren't aware of. And it's just kind of like on top of everything else they're trying to support. So like I said, it's it's been difficult, at least from what I've seen. I don't know if it's them who don't show up. I don't know if it's us who don't tell them early on. And in my experience, like I said, it's it's a mix of both, but I, I've seen both cases. Yeah, so I think uh, I do recognize yes. uh, it makes sense what you're saying. Dave? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I would say it's it's a mix of both. And and when I look at it, I, I look at it as the executives that the C-level, we have to have agreement at the top of the organization so that we can yep. be in unison when we say this is what we're going to do. Uh, so, so when I talk to executives, I, I talk about ITOT convergence as inevitable. Um, I talk about it as you're either going to do it and succeed as an organization or you will inevitably go out of business. Um, maybe not for every organization, but but generally speaking, if you do not leverage these new technologies, you won't be around yes. uh, for, for all that long. And, and we can go have these conversations as calmly or as heated as we want to do in the boardroom. We just need to make sure when everyone leaves the boardroom in 20 minutes or two weeks, depending upon how, how that conversation goes, we're all in alignment and, and th this is what we are going to do and that we need to look at IT as as partners in this, right? So IT, if, if there is IT, they've got a lot of networking experience, right? They, they might not know protocols, they might not know the OT items, but they absolutely should be our partners as we are going through and doing this. And, and honestly, if they can't be our partners, then maybe they, so maybe to Kevin's point, maybe they shouldn't be working at this organization. And if I opposed, then maybe they're in the wrong line of work because they don't understand how we make our money in order to go continue to do things like, I don't know, pay us and, and all of those other fun, important things uh, with life. So that, that is kind of my general conversation. And then if there's an issue, I generally like, you know, some sort of 
you know, CIO or, or some sort of director, vice president uh, of IT uh, th that I can go point to and saying, hey, th this is what we agreed on. Let's go figure out how we can go make this work, knowing that you have other things that aren't just this project, but let's go lay out the roadmap. And once we've laid out the roadmap, th this is what we're going to do. Let's go agree to it and find a way to to work together so that everyone can be successful. Yeah, it, as I'm listening to you guys talk and you know we're having this conversation here, uh, I, I was thinking to myself, amen, brother, to a lot of the points you were just making, babe, uh, uh, and Vlad the leadership uh the boardroom hash it out let's work together uh, uh service oriented uh so that we can become much more data driven uh as a company uh and was thinking to myself of multiple situations where it just ha just doesn't happen but another small point but i think really important point comes out uh, is that everybody just has to have patience too uh you got to be patient uh, there's a company that i'm thinking of uh, enterprise level metals and uh, the OT people, great people, uh, really know their stuff, been working with data for 20 years. Uh, it's not new. And mm -hmm. IT is only just starting to catch up now uh, to what they're doing. And they're implementing, you know, a large uh, UNS structure uh, in, in uh, of sorts. And uh, OT is really stretching their patience to wait for IT to catch up. Because there's so much that IT needs to do to to put things in place, the mm -hmm. new infrastructures, new tools, new capabilities, uh, uh, where in the past they've just served themselves. Now everybody has agreed, okay, let's work together and let's pull the data together from all the systems and let's drive the value from from uh, all the context, the information that we can get. Now that we've got the machine data aligned with ERP, MES, SCADA, et cetera. Uh, but the, the big thing that I see happening right now on the OT side is patience. And quite honestly, maybe there's a little bit of patience that uh, has been uh, uh, that is needed on the IT side too to understand OT. It just kind of occurs to me that a lot of people will lose patience and just throw up their hands. Ah, oh, screw it! I'm just going to go do my own thing. Uh, and sometimes, yeah, you might need to do that, but do your best to, to get in that same room, create those cross-functional teams, get your leadership to force everybody to. To, to play nice together and drive that culture, all that. Yeah, and I would say, you know, to that comment, I think patience is definitely key, but it's also, how to say it, like it's difficult because there's metrics typically on the OT side that are directly tied to your line performance, yeah, right? Fair. So it becomes really, really easy to say like, hey, like, like we shut down this line because the servers are due for updates twice last night. Like, hey, we've explained this multiple times. Like, you know, like something's got to change. So I certainly, like, I agree that patient, patience needs to be there, but maybe also rethinking some of the structures or maybe what's the, how to say, like, how do we make it so that there is an incentive for IT to get better at the understanding what the requirements are on the OT side and sort of being a stakeholder rather than, um, I want to say like a cost center to the organization that's just, kind of, you know, there's just, like, there is, at least, like, I've not seen metrics on the IT tied to performance of the OT side that would incentivize them to be like, hey, like, we really want to learn this, uh, there's fire under us, and we need to make sure this gets executed really well. So, again, I, I think patience is great, but I think it's really easy when uh, dollars are lost to pull the plug, right, from the OT side, at least. 
What's to say that we can't hold IT, at least in some respects, responsible for OEE, for unplanned downtime, uh, for some other challenges? Uh, uh, it's a really good point to think about a metric, and I haven't really thought about that uh, before. Uh, but there could be a metric where you could remove causes by OT just messing up, you know, operators, you know, just not doing the right thing, but where some of those metrics are really oriented towards where IT has a big impact too. Uh, and I mean, let's think about it. Let's use some of the systems that we put in place with uh, MQTT and others. Let's use some smart devices that can be aware of themselves and provide data about themselves uh, to, to measure uptime of networks and switches mm -hmm. and availability of bandwidth and, uh, and other things which will have a huge impact on, on OE. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, you know, I'm not trying to say that I have the ultimate answer. I think those conversations will be happening more though. and more in organizations. Really but ultimately, yeah. you know, it goes back yeah. to your point earlier, like you said, that one sort of department is the customer and the other one is sort of the solution provider. So I think there should be a better, how to say, I guess, syn synergy between the two and an understanding that, you know, when you provide that service from, let's say, IT to OT as an example, then maybe there is some stake for you to make sure that that is, um, how to say it, like tied to some kind of an uptime metrics as maybe it is OE, maybe it's the uptime of, again, a server, a switch, whatever that may be. So I think there's going to be better and better ways to get uh, IT's buy-in and kind of interest built in, in these systems. But like I said, I've not seen that yet. So I'm curious how it's going to change in the years to come. I wonder if, I'll just wonder aloud and then ask Dave the, the same question if he has some metrics, but I wonder if there could be an OEE of the network and of the data infrastructure. Unplanned downtime, planned downtime, uh, uh, quality of signal, bandwidth, um, uh, latency, uh, what else? There's availability, that's quality, uh, performance, throughput. Mm, interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't want to create I... too much of a complicated thing, but. As, as, as I look at OEE and look at potentially charging OEE downtime reasoning to IT, honestly, if I can measure a percentage of we're down because of IT reasons, th there's a bigger issue that, that needs to be solved immediately, uh, kind That's of fair. from my perspective. And and That's if fair. it gets to the point that that it makes it to those those top five or, or makes it within that that twenty percent uh those twenty percent of downtime reasons that, that cause eighty percent or ninety five percent of our uh, of our overall downtime if it makes it into one of those we need to go structurally change whatever is happening on the IT Completely side. Fair. Then what about the 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 side uh, where? Uh, OT is trying to be much more proactive, innovative. Hey, I just need a virtual machine. Uh, I, you know, for Walker Reynolds and others say, you know, I can, right now I can go to AWS and spin it up in 10 seconds. I've got my virtual machine and I'm off and running and installing who knows what uh, to do this. And it takes IT three months. Really? So that kind of delay taking a long time to get stuff done that only they can do. There's an impact on manufacturing and the lack of innovation that they can do. Uh, that I, it's probably one of the bigger impacts. How is that in, impact in manufacturing, and can we measure that? I think I think that's interesting, right? I, I think 
we're, we're probably not realistically spinning an AWS machine up in, in 10 seconds with all the things that we need on it. Um, and, and hopefully if IT is taking three months to go through and spin up a server, again, I, I think we've got other structural issues that we probably need to take a step back from what we're trying to, well, we as outside consultants, facilitators, practitioners need to to take a step back and say, hey guys, we could go help solve this particular issue, but I think you've got other structural issues if you're taking three months to spin up a server, right? We could go spin up a server. I've seen servers. It was not uncommon for a company to to take a week, a month, or or three months. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, And if we were to wait for all those companies to fix those issues, would we ever get in there and help them use the data too? But continue sorry i just want to throw that out there no no i i think that i think that 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 is a valid point but i think that at, at some point as outside folks we live within the constraints of the companies that we work with and i would yeah. almost ask the question of hey if it's going to go take this company three months to go spin up a server and i think we've all lived with organizations that take weeks or months to go spin up a server do we build it somewhere else and migrate it over to their server or do we go find other client work and people who can go get things done and we can make breakthrough results quickly in the immediacy while we're waiting three months and, and just send the automated email once a week of, Hey guys, have you spun up this server yet? Um, and so I, I think at, at some point structurally, if, if we are stuck with the fighting of the IT and we can't escalate to a higher level of the organization, is the organization functionally ever going to be able to use the information that we're giving them if this is the issue that they're seeing at the in the immediacy? Of the of the two examples, the the I want to say the better of the two, but what will typically happen is that then we implement it on our own systems, migrate it over if and when possible. Uh, and then that effort becomes the lighthouse, becomes the example. Hey. We can drive this value uh, from this project we've just implemented here. You guys ought to be doing this for your company too. Uh, and so they become a lighthouse, much like a one plant is a lighthouse for a whole uh, enterprise. But then what happens is OT starts to see, oh, yeah, well, I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. Uh, and then later on, I'm going to show IT what we did, and hopefully they'll recognize the value of it. Hopefully they'll catch up, and instead what happens is IT gets pissed. And, yeah, shut yeah. it down. I, I would agree with that, and, and I want to go talk maybe about a, a couple of success stories. But first, we've got some people yes, to thank. Yes, yes. Uh, we, we want to thank Siemens uh, for, for going and sponsoring the ITOT Convergence theme. Decisions are made based upon data. Data is the new gold of the 21st century, but most of most of the data within a factory is lost due to poor connectivity between different levels of, of OT and IT. Uh, OT and IT are often two different worlds and are not in comp- are not completely connected to each other. If you want to be ready for the future, the basis must be set today. Uh, Siemens totally integrated automation solutions for, for smart manu- for smart production can help you drive closer to your digital transformation goals while maintaining a robust industrial cybersecurity system. Learn more today by visiting uh, Siemens.com slash digital hyphen enterprise. Again, that's Siemens.com slash digital hyphen enterprise. And I will throw out, if you guys want to listen to more of the cybersecurity conversation, go check out last week's episode, episode 96 with Kyle McMillan. He is a Siemens cybersecurity uh, 
expert product manager. And we had, I think, one of the most interesting conversations with cybersecurity folks uh, that, that we've had all the way from how ski lifts in Utah brought him into, into cybersecurity. So absolutely go ahead and check that out. I will also mention if you guys are new on the show, uh, welcome. Uh, we will be going for a little bit more. If you guys have any conversations, please feel free to drop them in the comments. If you're listening live uh, and we do our very best to, to bring those comments in and uh and if we don't get to them during the show, we do our best to, to uh, go and respond to them. And if you're listening on podcast form, we should have contact information for at least Vlad and I. Uh, and we can go ahead and pass all, all of those questions along to Kevin. So so please feel free to uh, to go ahead and ask away. Uh, but I, I think that we – I think, Kevin, just before we transitioned into this, I think you brought up a, a really good kind of series of, series of comments, right, of – Hey, sometimes we go build on our own machines, migrate over to to their servers once they've spun up in two or three months. And and honestly, as we're saying this, I'm having traumatic flashbacks of projects that I had pushed from my mind because of of those very specific issues. Or or you know, six months to to go confirm uh, you know these five tags. Uh, but I'm gonna, I'm going to move past that uh, that project PTSD and uh, and go ask. Uh, so, so you made the comment of you know sometimes we'll go do a project and is the beacon or the lighthouse. And we can go make changes within the organization to show the value of this. Do you potentially have a project that that's a that's an example of of that being successful that you can share? Yes, <laughs> we have a, a few of them, uh, but one of them was paused because of the ransomware incident. <laughs> Quite honestly, oh, we shouldn't laugh about that. No, 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 it's absolutely not. I'll, I'm not sure how many people lost their jobs due to that whole thing. I'm not really sure. Uh, a really seriously unfortunate uh, situation all around. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, yeah, I think that there was a, a project where uh, IT was brought in early uh, mm -hmm. and there, there was a, a challenge to solve within this manufacturing plant uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, without giving too many details, of course, uh, and the issue, one of the issues was around quality. They needed better quality data sooner uh, uh, and they needed process data as well to drive better quality. Uh, they would hear about a customer issue two or three months later and one of the, the, the manufacturing engineers would have to literally go into the basement, go into the attic and go into uh, another plant that's an hour away to dig through pieces of paper to understand what in the world happened with this product. Uh, and they said, we need a better solution. Uh, and also we'd like to be able to get data from our QMS pretty quickly, right in front of the operator. So that while this long batch is running, uh, he or she can adjust what's going on so that we can get the better product out uh, ahead of time. And also let's be able to eventually work through the process of having better data so we can uh, drive uh, a, a golden batch uh, idea. Uh, so we started to talk about how we put this solution in place uh, with unified namespace, connect to a couple Allen Bradley complex logics, uh, uh, and uh, pull the data out, visualize some of it for the operators, uh, be able to also throw the data over into a, a Canary Labs uh, historian, give them certain reports so that uh, after the after the fact. Uh, he could go back and very quickly do his research on, on the quality and what was the cause. Didn't take hours and hours and hours and days, but rather rather minutes 
to get those answers. And we started to put this in place, uh, brought IT in early to say, hey, this is what we're doing. Uh, they brought IT in place, not us, uh, but we worked with IT uh, through the process, brought IT in, in uh, to the conversation, uh, went through a little bit of validation where IT was saying, what are you doing? We don't really understand this. We've never done this before in our plant floor. Uh, uh, passed that examination, if you will, that audit, uh, and then started to put the, the solution in place. And then, boom, all these other IT people globally started to ask questions. Of, what are you guys doing? How does this work? What's going on? And some of it was a little bit of, you know, yellow alert, yellow alert. You know, let's make sure that this is okay. But also, wow, that's interesting what you're doing. And that's that's going to be pretty powerful. Should we start to think about a digital strategy across the organization? This manufacturing manager essentially said, I had that in my previous job. I need that data. We are. We need to solve so many problems. So we're going to do it here. And he worked with his boss, and boss's boss, and got it all approved. Uh, but as soon as IT started to uh, become aware of what was going on, it was all new, new technologies, new ideas. Pub sub, you know, with MQTT and the, and the data broker, all new. But they started to realize, wow, wow, it's pretty interesting. Okay, now that we validated cybersecurity and that's all safe, maybe we should start to actually wake up to this a little bit. It was a pretty interesting conversation when we started to see some of that happen. I'm curious, you know, Kevin, as we increase complexity of these systems, right, and you've laid out the stack for us that, uh, that you typically use, but ultimately, in my mind, we're going to have a lot more data on the IT side, right? right? As we talked about, it could be just on a SQL database, but that might require, let's say, redundancy. Now you have uh, switches that they manage for the flow of that specific data port component. It might go to the cloud where... I've not even seen multi-cloud solutions, right? That's already a term that's used in traditional software, but that adds a lot of layers of complexity to some extent. There's many applications that you can run either like on-prem at the edge or in cloud in the cloud. So do you think that, you know, as that, how to say it, like as those touch points with OT data increase, it's going to only create bigger challenges when it comes to OT and IT convergence? Or do you think we will manage to sort of wrangle this problem and keep it contained so to speak and be able to scale uh you know at least like on the data side because I, I certainly see us wanting more and more as we realize the potential of data and it becoming uh, very difficult to again to make sure that it's reliable that it's scalable that it uh, meets the needs uh, of the IT, ot side but is uh, supported completely on uh, it I think it's going to get more complex and there's always going to be this, this push and pull between IT and OT and just all the technologies out there to get the solutions to work. There's already a lot of discussions, I mean, as, as examples, there's already a lot of discussions with a lot of manufacturers. Okay, so you're going to use an MQTT broker. You're going to get Ignition in there. You're also going to add a gateway, a hardware device. You're going to add a historian. Uh, and then maybe uh, let's start to build out the MES. Uh, by getting an off-the-shelf, really good uh, uh, scheduling solution. We're going to have uh, CMMS over here, uh, and then we're going to use an OEE engine, and that OEE engine is going to be consumed by uh, kind of this, um, let's call it a, an MBS that we're building on in ignition. Like, holy cow, talk about num you know multiple points mm -hmm. of failure for a solution. That's kind of troubling. Well, the alternative is, I mean, there's a few alternatives. One is to 
do nothing. Another is to use just a point solution that gives you this glass ceiling you can't get beyond, like, oh, let's just do one of those production monitoring systems. Mm -hmm. Or let's do this massive, massive behemoth MES system uh, that's going to take a year and a half or two years to put in place and a whole bunch of zeros uh, at the end uh, of the price for uh, implementation. And that's going to go, as, as I always say, that's going to go about as well as your ERP implementation did. And well, how, how smoothly was that ERP implementation? Uh, oh, yes, yes, not very well. You're right, right. Uh, so it's there's this Goldilocks zone that we're all seeking. Uh, this not too hot, not too cold, not too difficult, not too simple, you know, this kind of middle ground. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of the push and pull is going to happen. Uh, and, and that complexity is going to continue to grow in the cloud. We're working with uh, clients that are talking about uh, cold, lukewarm, and hot storage uh, mm -hmm. for data, for process data, uh, streaming data, materializing that streaming data, getting some data off of that to get real-time real, real -time analytics. Kafka, then being able to have all of that data uh, uh, in that uh, data lake, if you will, where the, the Kafka top files land, and then being able to replay that data if you want to, uh, and using Kafka for other reasons to make sure that we confirm that the message gets there. Uh, uh, and then how are we uh, moving data around within the cloud as well to data lakes and data warehouses and doing the analytics and how do we present this data to data scientists? It's it's getting really complex. But if we keep our heads about us and we don't always buy the latest and greatest thing, then uh, uh, I think we should be able to work through it and handle it. Mm -hmm. I mean, a roommate that I had in college, he had one of the very first Saturn cars that came off the line. Absolute lemon. It was a great <laughs> lesson to me early on. Absolute lemon. Do not buy the first car. Wait for version 2.0 or at least 1.1 or something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, and so we don't always have to be bleeding edge. Uh, we can be leading edge, but bleeding edge, yeah, that's too much. Come on. We have a good question, Kevin. As a follow-up, maybe on uh, some, I want to say, not so utilized, at least in my experience, technologies in manufacturing. So Rob is asking, uh, have you seen the use of uh, graph database uh, in manufacturing to unify desperate data yes. sets? And okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there are a couple small fledgling MES products uh, out there that are using the graph database. Uh, this idea of nodes and edges to be able to create uh, and uh, illustrate and store data based on how the data is related to one another, uh, much different storage schema than what you typically find in uh, relational databases and, and NoSQL databases. Mm -hmm. And it works really well for being able to identify what device belongs to what, what's connected to what, all that. Uh, so we're starting to see some of that come about. Uh, and that kind of structure works well for the ISN 95 part two kind of structure as well, enterprise site area line cell, uh, and can work well if built properly uh, for uh, storing a lot of that unified namespace uh, data. And that then brings up the whole topic that a lot of people are, with unified namespace are struggling with this idea of a single version of the truth in current state only. But it would be nice to be able to go back and query that unified namespace, that that single pane of glass to say, well, what was the answer for this particular question? Well, there's no data stored there. Well, when you add uh, graph databases in there, you can start to actually have some of the data stored as well. So yes, it's it's up and coming. One of the graph databases that we see being used is the, 
uh, graph database, which is the Gremlin imp implementation of the Cosmos DB in Azure. Started to see that pop up in a few places. What's the including one if, of the enterprise companies? So sorry to interrupt. If you don't mind me asking, I yeah. guess what's the advantage? I'm, I'm certainly not a you know not a graph database expert. What is the advantage, or what's the perceived um, how to say it, like difference between a NoSQL database and going the graph database route? I, I understand, I guess, the high level of how nodes and uh, vertices are structured, but what's the what's the advantage of storing the data that way? You can so the relational databases became really popular because you could uh, create relationships between tables, and each of those tables are supposed to be atomic to to be normalized. Uh, and those tables are supposed to represent something in reality, a person, a machine, whatever it might be. Uh, but that structure becomes sometimes too restrictive. Uh, so then there was a big uh, uh, response, a, a what do you want to call it, a, a, a whiplash kind of response to NoSQL. Oh, we can store anything, and it's completely flexible, these documents we can put into NoSQL. Graph, I think, then starts to become that middle graph. Uh, of, uh, you know, that the Goldilocks zone of, okay, we can have some structure, we can have the relationships between the, the data, but we also have flexibility at the same time. Uh, and also we can query it as well with the GraphQL uh, language, where I, I didn't mention that with the node, uh, or excuse me, the NoSQL databases, creating relationships between the, 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 the documents and, and all that gets a little kludgy. Difficult. Interesting. Yeah, that's, uh, again, I guess like a subject I'd be very interested to learn more about, but I certainly have to do a lot of reading. I'm, I'm definitely not uh, as up to speed on graph databases as uh, Rob was asking this question. Dave, what are your thoughts? I, I have many thoughts on, on the topic, Vlad. I, I guess uh, I, I will summarize these thoughts so that we don't spend another hour talking about databases. I think it's important to, to normalize your data ideally as it comes in. If, if we're starting Greenfield, hopefully let's go make sure that we structure data the same way appropriately um, all the way down at the, the, the PLC tag level. Uh, in the real world in which most of us live, uh, these PLCs have been programmed and, and we've been running in day. And I've said this before on the show, but Dave uses dashes and Vlad uses uh, slashes and Kevin uses underscores. And that, that is kind of best case scenario that, that I don't, you know, flip flop uh, the way I go name things completely different than than how everyone else goes and names things. So at some point, we kind of have to draw the line in the sand saying hey, that this is how we are going to normalize our structure. And this is how we are going to use everything and move at it going forward. I know that there are a number of different kind of ways and thoughts and philosophies as to how we do it. Uh, I guess for, from my perspective, it's more important for the longevity of an organization that we say we are going to do this in order to make our organization better and moving forward. This is, this is the path on, on how we are going to do it than picking any one particular uh, kind of thought process on how we're going to do it. I, I think that that is important. And then once we have this data um, all together, allowing access to the data generally to anyone within the organization, um, ideally as transparently as possible so that we can pull in business information and manufacturing information and, and go make appropriate business decisions. I, I think that that is the path forward. 
Uh, yeah, I think that that is the path forward. I've said it before, and I will continue to get on my soapbox and and, and say it until everyone either listens to me or, or no one listens to me or, or some some combination thereof. There's a story that just came to mind, which I think represents some of the difficulties that happen with this ITOT uh, convergence uh, or lack of convergence. Uh, manufacturer we visited recently will be doing a project with OT didn't show up at all to the table for the DTMA, sadly. Uh, uh, OT, or excuse me, IT didn't, I, uh, let me correct myself. Uh, IT did not show up uh, at the table at all for the conversation. Uh, and as far as I know, they were certainly invited. Uh, and IT uh, has been mostly the help desk, uh, get the computers, set up the infrastructure, secure, you know, put up the firewalls and, uh, and then a little bit of software support and, and that's it. Uh, and one of the things that IT did to get really deeply into the plant uh, was to develop an MES system. However, it was a custom MES system, custom from mm -hmm. the ground up, .NET. I think they were a good developer, haven't seen the code yet, uh, but they were pretty good at what they were doing. Uh, and that was a huge benefit to the plant. That plant IT has, developed the system? Uh, Just to double check. Yes. IT developed. Okay, gotcha. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, the that plant has more data, uh, more access to data at the operator frontline worker level, uh, manager level, uh, and in the C-suite for at least that plant itself uh, than most other plants that we run into today outside of extreme enterprise or if you think about, you know, uh, uh, you know, car makers and whatnot, which they have lots more money to, to spend all those kind of efforts. But at the same time, they created it without regard to industry best practices and standards. Maybe some software development best practices, but not manufacturing industry best practices. ISA 95, what, what's, what's that? ISA, I'm not sure. Is that, I don't know what that is. Uh, and it was written in a very ad hoc fashion. And also, IT is now protecting that asset too. Uh, and it becomes really scary they are now the the manufacturing company has this MES system, which is its greatest asset or one of its greatest greatest assets, but also its greatest liability. And they're now just waking up to the fact that uh, it's a huge problem uh, because they've got to now uh, either fix it or replace it, and they're not sure what they can do and whether IT is going to really uh, relinquish the keys to the kingdom. Uh, uh, and it's it's a really sad situation. Hopefully. We can become friends, invite them to the table, create cross-functional teams, uh, uh, and get things going in the right direction. Because otherwise, whew, man, it's not going to be pretty. Uh, so we really need to get that leadership in the room, define the digital strategy, pull people together, uh, get them to understand we need to be a service-oriented organization while we become data-driven, uh, uh, and let's work together. It's really otherwise, interesting. It's really I've dealt with this. Go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. I was going to say, I've dealt with a similar situation, right? I was having the, the, the conversation uh, go into deploy an uh, in, in MES solution and uh, kind of all, much of the pushback on some of these sections were, were from one particular facility, right? The the organization has called it two dozen facilities um, in, in North America. And one of these facilities had custom built their I don't remember if it was a particular part of MES or scheduling or some combination thereof, right? And they love it. And for a number of those people, this was their hill that they were going to die on, right? They they, they yeah. needed yeah. all of these strange 
use cases that basically only got built because they're all workarounds because they didn't build it properly on the first time. And they had like half a dozen developers developing, uh, you know, this particular solution. And when I go talk to those organizations, uh, I kind of ask them, you know, do you want to be a development company, right? Do you as a Fortune 50, Fortune 500, Fortune 5000, do you guys want to deploy and and forever for the rest of the history of your organization, go have a fleet of developers just going and paying this tech debt that you will always have? Or do you want to go pay a little bit of money, go purchased something generally off the shelf and we'll go make a couple of changes. So it works probably a thousand percent better than what you currently have. Cause what you currently have was custom coded 12 years ago, right? Like, do you want to go do that? And most of the time that the, the tech debt conversation, and, and then once you go look at what it costs to go have half a dozen to two dozen developers on staff full-time, just to go troubleshoot these super nagging issues that have our good conversations that, that help move people out of the, hey, we must custom code everything. It doesn't help the, uh, especially if there's one group or one facility who's dug in really deep, but it is it is generally a good place in, in order to have a conversation. And those conversations are, are typically must be had at much higher levels than at that particular site in which you're trying to wrestle away, uh, in, in which you're trying to, to wrestle away um, yeah, kind of I, yeah, ownership. I don't have a problem with a company creating a custom MES if they know ahead of time what they're getting into, just like you talked about, number one. Number two, they follow software development best practices, source code control, commenting, uh, 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 you know, good, uh, well-written code, abstraction, all the rest of that kind of stuff. Uh, and also that they're following manufacturing best practices, uh, the industry standards for how to organize data and make the system flexible and really focus well on manufacturers. But they've got to know coming in that it this is going to be uh, this is going to be your greatest asset. But essentially, eventually, it might become a ball and chain for you. Uh, and I think I think this goes back to Joel Spolsky, a guy who's well recognized in the software development community uh, many years ago. Uh, great guy, wicked smart, uh, fantastic entrepreneur. The guy who did uh, uh, Stack Exchange. A lot of people might be familiar with Stack Exchange. He and Jeff Atwood put that together. Uh, fantastic entrepreneurial venture. Uh, and Trello too. Trello was one of his products. I think a lot of people might know Trello. Interesting. Yeah. He he had said uh, that the only time a company could should be doing uh, custom development like that is if that's going to be the uh, the major differentiator for them for the business. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, probably off the shelf software. Uh, and I'm a, we're uh, we do a lot of systems integrator work, and at the same time, we do also do a lot of custom software development work. If a custom software uh, guy as saying you shouldn't write custom software probably means you shouldn't be writing custom software. You should figure out another solution, which of course we can help with too. Absolutely. I, I, I would agree with that. I generally use the, the, the phrase or the term core competency. If, if it's not a core yes, competency you of your organization, you should not be doing it, especially in, in 2023. I think, I think there were different conversations throughout the 90s and maybe early 2000s to be had um, of custom solutions. But at this point, when you can buy basically everything that you have and more off the shelf at $10 to $20 per user, um, and then a little bit of money to uh, to set that up. I guess, in, in my opinion, it, it's almost silly to uh, it's it's almost silly to 
to stick yourself in the past with, with all this continued te- tech debt and all of this continued, you know, far from far from best practices. Uh, yes. But so th- this has been an amazing conversation. Um, I, I do want to be cognizant of, of everyone's time. Uh, we will certainly have to continue the conversation. And thank you for giving us uh, this interesting perspective, uh, especially that last bit of if a custom software guy is telling you not to do custom software, maybe you shouldn't do custom software. I, I think that <laughs> I think that, that might by. be that, that's the line and most important thing. Yeah. Absolutely. But we want to talk about the future, right? So, so th- this is one of my favorite times where we get to put the guest on, on the hot seat a little bit more. What, what, are, what do you think the future of ITOT convergence looks like, Kevin? Uh, well, I was hoping you would just give me the very broad what's going to happen in the future. And I was going to say the sun will rise tomorrow and it will set tomorrow, but you're not making it that okay. easy. Okay. That, that's much. a pretty good bet. <laughs> All right. Um, for ITOT convergence, uh, it's uh, the teams are going to work together. Uh, they're going to have to because I think it gets back to exactly what you were saying, Dave. If you don't, you're either going to be acquired, or you're going to go out of business. Uh, I mean, that's straight up. I think that's the way, way it's looking. I'm not quite uh, ready to put a full month's salary wager on this, like I think some of your prior guests have done. <laughs> but uh, they're going to have to work together. Uh, uh, so that's my prediction. They, they will be able to work together better um, because otherwise it's going to be a matter of survival. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I, I, th- I think that that is a good recommendation. Um, it, it's, it's what I've been saying and that's what I will continue to say. Uh, as I say it more and more times, I, I get less and less, I, I, I uh, sugarcoat it less and less. Um, but, yes. but no, I, I think that, that that's a very good, uh, very good, prediction uh we'd, we'd love to get some career advice right so if someone is looking to get into manufacturing maybe they want to help kind of continue to bridge that gap between it and ot uh maybe they're coming in from from a very different background like like music education or music as as you were mentioning earlier kevin uh what, what's the what's the career advice for, for someone looking to go make that change i I'm not so hot on university degrees anymore, unless you're doing a professional degree. If you want a deep, deep, deep engineering degree, I I think that makes sense. A ton of respect for all the electrical, chemical, mechanical, uh, uh, civil engineers, et cetera, that are out there. Uh, Having said that, if somebody just wants to start to get in and also start to play around on the IT or OT side, uh, check out one of those code boot camps. My, My nephew did that and he's got a good cybersecurity job right now. Was able to jump right into that. That works really well. Uh, two-year degree programs to get some of the basics, and then become really good, really become really thirsty and hungry to learn, and then get really good at studying and learning on your own. There is a ton of content out there, uh, and I'll again I'll bring up Walker Reynolds and the content that 4.0 Solutions puts out there for the mentorship and the mastermind. The mentorship uh, is not expensive, and they take you step by step learning. Ignition, SQL, writing SQL or, or SQL, uh, and working with databases, uh, and working with historians, and you know, you know how to connect to machines and all that, and that is the down and dirty details of what you need to get a job. And if you can get that stuff, you can execute that. You can learn on your own if you're hungry. You're going to have more offers, and you you know what to do with. I I think that the most 
distinguished. I think the, the engineers who who are generally I would consider some of the best that that I have worked with in the past are ones that that are very ferocious learners and ones who will go figure out the problem. Uh, I, I would I would say that the people who are willing to go figure out the problem um, and go find the solution are are ones that very rarely will have issues finding jobs or, or finding work opportunities into the future. Some of the other, uh, another differentiator, and I think this is really good career advice. I gave this to my nephew. I'll certainly give it to everybody else. Have a mentor, have a living, breathing mentor that you might sit next to or is down the hall that can bring you under their wing and show you not only how to code this better or to figure out that algorithm, uh, but also how to think strategically, not just tactically, how to think more broadly, uh, what industry standards and best practices to learn and to study. Uh, so if you're hungry, uh, you really want to learn, you'll you'll dedicate the time, you have the discipline to do it, and you have a mentor, uh, the, the world is your oyster at that point. Let me ask you a question, if you don't mind, Kevin, to expand on that a little bit. So when it comes to a good mentor, have you maybe, do you have any advice for someone who is a mentor on what that framework looks like? Is it, again, as you said, it's not just technical advice, but what does that structure look like in your mind that makes sense? Uh, in that relationship? I haven't ever really thought about a, a structure per se. Okay. Um, I, I simply think of it as, I mean, it's, I think it's going to be a learning process for the person finding the mentors to, to, to learn who are good mentors and not. So we'll just go out there and find somebody who uh, is in a position that you respect and hold, has a good character uh, okay. and, holds themselves well and is on a good path and is running a relatively clean life. Uh, 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 and then use them as a model, model yourself after them in some respects, and then start to evaluate, is this the person I want to become? Uh, and that person then the, for that mentor person, uh, take them, you know, share with them, uh, take them through your past. H how did you get where you're at? Uh, cover the technical, cover the, the tactical, cover the strategic, uh, 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 and then even cover topics like uh, how to conduct yourself in a meeting, how to run a meeting, mm -hmm. uh, uh, all these things that we never learned in school, we learned uh, on the job. If you can get that stuff and get it pretty quickly from a mentor, uh, again, the world will be uh, your oyster. I, there are some books, of course, I'm, I can't bring to mind, but that have talked about these kinds of like, hey, this is the stuff you should, you're never going to learn in school, but you should learn now. Uh, and of course, I can't think of them. Uh, one, well, it, uh, a couple of books that I think of, which maybe you'll get to, one of them that I think really speaks to finding mentors and being able to reflect on people and how they operate and finding a good mentor. John Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Le Laws of, of Leadership is a good book to read to understand who a good leader is. And mm -hmm. if you can then find that leader, uh, uh, and then start to model yourself after them. Uh, uh, and then they're willing to share some of themselves with you on a weekly, monthly basis, in person, remotely. Again, and you're hungry, disciplined, the world is your oyster at that point. No, I think all of those are really good points. Um, I just kind of want to add on to the mentorship uh, comment Please. that 
th there are opportunities to have more than one. You're, you're probably not going to have one person who is going to come in and be able to provide you with all with all of those things. I, I, I think fair. that many good organizations have some sort of structured or perhaps unstructured mentorship opportunities, especially for younger or new employees who, who are looking to upskill or do other things uh, with that. And so having someone within an organization is and can absolutely be very important. I would say beyond that, that there are some things that you're probably going to want someone outside of your organization to help you with, right? Like yes. at some point it's how do I ask for a pay raise or I think I'm being underpaid or or I've got an issue with a coworker. How can I go resolve this issue? Do I need to go escalate it to you know my boss or their boss or the, the boss's boss, something like that? So I think there are opportunities for for a variety of different mentors uh, when it comes to that, both inside and outside of an organization. And then beyond that, I think the mentors, the people that you need will change over the years, right? So the same person that you're working with now or see as a mentor or see as a, a colleague that you can go have conversations with today is different than what it was five years from now and hopefully is different than what it will be five years from now if you are continuing along the tra trajectory of what you are looking for and and to get out of a career. But I think the, the mentorship is is a very good is, is absolutely a very good comment and suggestion. Thank you for that, Kevin. Amen, brother. Amen. Absolutely. You're right. Uh, perfect. And then you, you, you kind of alluded to it. You gave us <laughs> the 21 laws of, of leadership, uh, which is good. Vlad has actually already purchased it and will be reading it uh, instead of sleeping tonight. But uh, <laughs> beyond that, do, do you have uh, perhaps another uh, book recommendation or recommendations for us? I'll, I'll do I'll limit it to two plus an author of one of them. Uh, one book that came out recently in October of 2022 is Augmented Lean uh, by uh, the the CEO co-founder of Tulip and another guy. Both of them come from MIT. Uh, really good book that talks about the, um, uh, the, the frontline workers and enabling them to innovate by giving yeah. them the capabilities they need, the data, et cetera. Uh, great ideas in the book. Unfortunately, very thick book and also a very tough read the way they write as academics, sadly. Uh, so it takes a lot of work to read through it. Uh, but you you had me very so. excited for the first half of that. I, you, you had I, me very know, excited for the first half of that. I know. It's a slog. It's a slog. I, yeah, it's hard. Uh, one of the other books. Uh, so the author is Ryan uh, Holiday. Ryan Holiday writes a lot about Stoicism. Stoicism is a living philosophy that came from Greece and was very popular with Romans. And <coughs> excuse me, a lot of uh, early Americans, including George Washington, uh, I think uh, what, uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson, and even a lot of current day people uh, follow uh, and you know kind of follow this this living philosophy called Stoicism, uh, based on uh, four virtues and a bunch of other ideas. Uh, and uh, he's got a lot of content out there, some good books. And one of the books that I read daily, you know, it's, well, I won't go down the religion path, but I'll just simply say that one of his books is called The Daily Stoic, which I like a lot, and I take it everywhere with me. And it's a, it's a book where it has a, a, a reading every day. Uh, and they, it, a lot of it is about you can control yourself, your environment, your emotions, 
worry about the things you can control. Don't worry about the things you can't control. Don't get, get yourself worked up uh, about, you know, all the things that are going on in the world. Uh, uh, it, 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 the whole uh, on the fly, I struggle to, to explain it all, but it's a really good concept and, you know, way to think about life and, and living. It's not, uh, you know, a lot of advice on how to live your life and where to save your money and what stocks to invest in and that kind of thing. It's more of a, a higher level framework of, uh, of how to, you know, think and conduct yourself overall so that you can just have a good, happy life, and not get yourself uh, uh, worried about all kinds of crazy things that you really don't need to be worried about in life. I like that. I really like that. Interesting. Interesting. No, I, I think good, that, that is good, a very uh, good video blogs on YouTube, et cetera. His YouTube channel is really good. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. I, I think I have come across his YouTube channel. The, the daily stoic is, is, yeah. is absolutely something that I've heard. So I, and I, do, I haven't seen the book, so I'd imagine I've come across the YouTube um, in the past, but no, I, I think that's a very good, especially an amazing variety of books and, and op opportunities with that. So, so thank you for that, Kevin. And th then last question is basically how can our community help you? Who should reach out? Are you guys looking for customers? Are you guys looking to hire? How, how again, how, how can the manufacturing hub community help you guys? Yes and yes. Uh, I was just talking with our COO today about the projects we have coming in, and we're looking for uh, certified ignition developers, uh, new and, and uh, experienced. We'd love to talk with them uh, because we have more and more work coming up because a lot of companies are going through realizing they need to go through this digital transformation, get that real-time visibility into the plant floor. And ignition is one of the, the, the popular tools uh, that we work with, as well as others. But if they know ignition, they can learn a lot of, a lot of other stuff. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're looking for customers, manufacturers that uh, uh, that have a, a digital initiative are interested in changing themselves and changing the world. Uh, leadership who's behind that digital initiative clearly defined business challenges, and they're ready to really try to solve those business business challenges. Those kinds of companies are the companies that are going to be successful at these efforts. Uh, uh, and uh, if they want some help, or at least even just a just have a conversation and learn about what we do and how we do it. Happy to talk. That 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 is amazing. I will say, Kevin, if you you have too many of those customers, you can also please send uh, some my way because I I feel like everyone is always looking for the the type of we'll just call them enlightened customers with clear, distinct business objectives in mind. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. There are there are never enough of those that exist out there. But but no, uh, th this has been amazing. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, we again want to thank Siemens for sponsoring this episode and the entire IT yeah, OT convergence. Uh, theme. Um, if you guys are still listening and watching us on YouTube, shout out to Solus PLC. Vlad, we did not forget about Solus PLC. Uh, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Solus PLC is over 36,000 subscribers. If you guys are watching us on LinkedIn, again, thank you all very much. Please feel free to go ahead and hit that thumbs up button. Uh, Kevin's, uh, uh, Kevin's LinkedIn profile is linked uh, on LinkedIn, as well as Vlad and myself. Please go ahead and follow and connect with us. I, I feel like I speak for all of us. If, if you made it this far, we We'd love to have conversations uh, with you guys, if, if only via Messenger. And if you're listening in podcast form, again, go ahead and check the show notes. Uh, yeah, go ahead and hit the check the show notes and please hit follow and subscribe. Go ahead and rate us five stars for, for all of those reasons. It helps. And for some reason, everyone continues to listen and listen more and more. Uh, but, but no, this has been amazing. Thank you again, Kevin. Until next week, we'll see everyone soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Kevin. 
Thank you, everyone. Thank you.